Hey, get your Bibles out and just go ahead and find the book of Acts. It should be a, a relatively easy book to locate in the New Testament. Turn to Acts chapter 3. I'm going to be reading in just a moment. Today we're going to start a new a teaching series that we'll be spending approximately this week and, and the next four weeks following this one uh, that I've entitled Churchquake. Understanding the New Apostolic Reformation. Now that may not make a lot of sense to you at the moment, but it hopefully will make incredible sense four or five weeks from now, and not just with regards to what God is doing in the life of His church at large, but actually what God would love to do in your life personally. I am, I am keenly aware that whenever I get up to teach, that we have to translate certain important concepts into what does that mean for me as an individual person or as a believer. I mean, these are great things. God's doing great things in the church at large, but uh, it should have some kind of impact uh, in your life personally as well. And so uh, I'm, I'm aware of that, and we will do our best uh, to keep that in mind uh, as we're going through this in these next few weeks. I'm also keenly aware that as we get to the end of the year, which is kind of an amazing thing in church life. That when you get to the holiday season, and everyone knows that holiday means holy day, right? You understand where holiday came from, holy day. And, and here in just a few weeks, wow, and it's hard to believe, we're going to be celebrating Thanksgiving. I can't even believe I'm saying it. It seems like we just put away all the Thanksgiving and then Christmas stuff. Oh, jeez. So... That's coming very, very quickly, and, and for whatever reason, this is really remarkable in church life. I've seen this for 28 years, that, that whenever the church gets to the holiday season, you can tell that everybody gets distracted. Uh, there's just sort of this corporate distraction, I guess, because the culture is wound up and probably finishing up all the things they have to finish up to end uh, their year, and we're probably thinking about Christmas shopping and and, and, you know, whose house we're going to and what food we're bringing and the Christmas party we're supposed to be at. And there's just a number of distractions that come towards the end of the year. I have tried through the years to challenge that and found it oftentimes is to no avail. So uh, this year I decided keeping that in mind, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm not going to, I mean, it's all spiritual, but I'm going to try to impart some instruction and teaching that I'm going to believe God that as we move around to the first of the year, 2012, and this is just coming to me right now, guys, I'm nowhere near my notes right now. You know on the Mayan calendar, 2012 is when it ends. I saw a cartoon the other day about these two Mayans talking together, and one looked at the other one and said, we ran out of room at the date 2012, what should I do? And he goes, I, and he looks and he said, I don't know, probably we'll mess somebody up then. So I don't, I, there's been this big discussion as to, will the world end in 2012? Well, I know from the scripture that we have at least, after the rapture, seven more years. So the world ain't going to end yet. You're following me. But 2012 is the big, the big hoopla over, is the world going to end? Well, I'll declare it first. No! No, you'll be here. It's just like Y2K. You will be here. 
And God delights in taking what what is declared to be destruction or what looks to be the ending and, and, and giving new beginnings. He just loves that. He just loves rubbing the world's nose and things like that. And so I'm, I'm really believing that as we turn the calendar year and we get to the first of the year, a lot of the things that we're going to be sharing these next few weeks will find more tangible expression in the life of the church and hopefully in our lives as well. I honestly believe that these are going to be some of the most important things I'm going to share. So hopefully you'll have ears to hear. We'll be able to make it relevant. And uh, we'll be able to get all this plugged into our lives. In Hebrews 12, 26 and 27, I'm not going to ask that you turn there. Hebrews 12, 26 and 27 are some of my most favorite verses. Because it says there that God will shake all that can be shaken. He says, I will shake all that can be shaken. Now, why? Why would God shake all that can be shaken? He tells us in those same verses, so that that which cannot be shaken shall remain. Whenever God does things in your life, I'm going to give you a hint. Sometimes he'll shake your life in order to shake off those things you don't need. He'll shake your circumstances. He'll shake your situation. She'll shake things just to get you to lose things so you will ultimately see for yourself what it is that you should ultimately value. And he goes on to say in those verses that it's the kingdom. Kingdom things remain after all the shaking. And I believe God's doing that in these days. I believe God in our nation is shaking us. And my prayer has been, will we awaken to the shaking? He's shaking our economy. He's shaking people's job situations. You know, you lose money out of your 401k and you lose your job and you don't know where to invest your money and you don't have any answers in the near future as to what it's going to take to turn our nation around and get it back on the right direction. And you see all of these shakings. You know what it ought to do? It ought to make you evaluate what's really important. Shaking us through Acts of terrorism, which, praise God, we've been spared from since 9-11. God is not the cause in the sense that he's grabbing your life and he's making you shake, but he's certainly allowing the shaking to happen in order that we'll sort these things out, we'll prioritize, and ultimately we'll answer the question, who will we trust? Where shall we look? Where is there an answer? And he's shaking his church as well. And whenever the church gets shook, we use the word reformation. That's literally an easy definition uh, for reformation. God is shaking things in order to bring them back into order. So, quoting, quoting the great theologian Jerry Lee Lewis. There's a whole lot of shaking going on. All for the purpose of getting us back to kingdom life. All to get us back to trusting and believing in his power. God's reforming and he's restoring his church. And uh, hopefully we will embrace this. However, for you to embrace what God is doing, it helps to understand on what will be produced. Keep the goal of that in mind. And so we're going to begin to paint a picture of what I believe ultimately out of this shaking some things are going to look like, especially in the life of of his church. So if you have your Bibles open to Acts chapter 3, I want to read to you some passages. Acts chapter 3, beginning with verse 19, 
I've entitled the first message this morning, Operation Restoration. Operation Restoration. Acts 3, beginning with verse 19, Peter's preaching, and this is what he says. He says, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that He may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before. Verse 21, I believe, is the important verse here. It says, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all His holy prophets since the world began. Operation Restoration. This was, so far as we know, uh, there was probably more sermons preached, but it's at least the second recorded sermon after the day of Pentecost and the birth of the church that we see being declared to the people at large. Uh, the first one, as you will recall, came out of the upper room. Peter comes into the streets of Jerusalem, and he begins to declare to them about what it means to be saved. It was one of those obviously seeker-sensitive messages. As he looks at Jerusalem and he says, you killed him and the blood's on your hands. So now we have one that has followed. It's after a dramatic healing. And uh, now he's preaching again because it got everyone's attention. And while the first one had to do with salvation and let's get our lives right, this message has to do with strategy. God was now in a restoration plan and he wanted all to know that. In fact, Peter says here that Jesus is being held in the heavens until the times, interesting plural, until the times of restoration of all things. And you know what I believe about the word all, don't you? Yeah, all means, yeah, all. All things. It's a fascinating verse. Fascinating verse. The simple interpretation is that the Holy Spirit is going to bring back into operation some things in the church that had been lost or that have been neglected that we might once again be the powerful bride that the Father envisioned because of the sacrifice of His Son, it would take place in the life of the church. Are you following me? The book of Acts is how the church started. This is what I believe. I believe that if this is how God started, He will end in no lesser fashion. In fact, I honestly believe that He will, he will eclipse Himself because the Bible says that the glory of the latter house will be greater than the former. So while we see these amazing things take place in the book of Acts, and we say to ourselves, wow, wouldn't that have been amazing to see some of these things that we read about in Acts take place? Here's the good news. I believe it is God's plan. It is His purpose. It is His direct design. And He will find a people through whom He can restore all things back to. Jesus is being held in the heavens, it says. Waiting for that moment when you and I as the church or the bride will arise and we will present ourselves because of his work in us, not as this powerless, anemic, wimpy body of people with our tail between our legs, getting whooped on by the world, being marginalized, being put on the other side of the tracks, being boxed in a corner. Oh, no, 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 no. That's not how the church is going out. 
The church is going out as a spotless church. No wrinkles. Full of power. Full of anointing. We are going to be a bride that the bridegroom will receive. Now that's what I believe. I don't just believe it because it makes for good preaching. I believe it because that's what the Bible says. In fact, it, the Hebrew writer even said that Christ was being held in the heavens waiting until his enemies be made his footstool. So I could go through numerous passages beginning to demonstrate to you how all through Scripture it is the heart of God to restore us back to at least original condition. And if I could take the time to teach you the etymology of the word restoration, I could literally show you that restoration means that he wants us to be in a state even better than the original. Amen? Come on, when we restore houses, we're just not restoring them back to, uh, you know, if, if the house was built in 1780 and we're restoring the house, we're not making it as good as it was in 1780. We're making it as good as it is in the year 2011. It may look like it's 1780, but it's restored even better than it was in those days. That's what's happening in the life of his church. Now, I know what you'll say. You'll say, well, if that be true, pastor, have you taken a long, hard look around you at how the church really looks? Because we're a long way from the book of Acts. I mean, we're a long way in the sense that I don't know that we've seen people raised from the dead, at least in American services. I don't know that if people hung around the outside of the door of the church, that we would even have the temerity to begin to say, silver and gold have I none, but what I have, rise up and walk. Uh, have you looked lately? We're still fussing about whether there's spiritual language that takes place in the church. I, I mean, we're kind of a long way from the book of Acts, Pastor. Have you, have you noticed that lately? L listen, the times of restoration, I'm teaching you now, listen, times of restoration. This is really a really good point, not only historically, but this is a good point for your life personally. And that is God doesn't dump the whole truck of restoration on you at once. And you ought to say amen. And the reason being is because if he dumped the whole thing on you at once, he'd kill you. You couldn't handle everything at once. I mean, that's why you get saved and, and, and some things change, but some things linger. It's because if he just did the whole work, it just it freak you out, it freak your family out, and it, it it would be of no earthly good. So, times of restoration, and I have found in my life, and many of you would testify to the same thing, that God takes you through this journey, and there are these seasons that He restores back to you, originally, what He intended to take place in your life. I think He wants us to be established, and He wants us to get a get a handle of these things before we're just rushed along to this incredible, powerful state. I think God's pretty smart if you just get right down to it. If he gave us everything at once, we'd get a brain cramp and probably get prideful and arrogant. And I like what R.T. Kendall once said. He said, the worst thing that can happen to a man is for him to succeed before he's ready. That's so true. Some of you want you want to be successful and and and. Uh, loosed so badly and, and don't realize that if God threw you the car keys right now, you'd go crash it. The best thing, the most merciful thing he's ever done is just said, sit down and listen for a while. And uh, he's helping you because there will be seasons of restoration. But it didn't just work that way in, in an individual's life. It's worked that way historically. 
Now, one of the things I've done, I've done a lot of things with regards to ministry through the year, but through the years. But one of the things that I was assigned to do years ago, uh, when I worked for Pastor Miles in uh, Spartanburg at Evangel, was that we were to start a Bible college, and so I started this Bible college. We we we, we got it rolling there at Evangel, and uh, one of the classes that we taught was Restoration History, and and I taught Restoration History from two perspectives. Number one is God's providence. I believe that history is not this this uh, am amalgamation of events and facts that just haphazardly or capriciously are thrown together. I hope in your life you don't view your life as this haphazard, amalgamated, disconnected uh, series of events that just happens. you you got to get a vision of, of God's will and God's ways in your life. I believe the steps of the righteous are ordered. And I believe the steps of history are ordered. It is His story. I don't think things just happen. I think God allows things to just happen. And so we teach providentially and I teach restorationally. And what that means is, is that I believe that as the church moved through this period of time, uh, at the decline at about A.D. 300, 350, 400, somewhere in there, the church entered into a decline and it was called the Dark Ages and it lasted until about the 1500s. And in that period of time, there was very little that was, that was spoken. God's Spirit did not move. We can find witnesses of His Spirit. Uh, here and there, kind of spotty, but nothing, nothing on a global level. But it, but in 1517, something happened that suddenly changed everything. It was Martin Luther who posted his 95 theses on the Wittenberg castle door, which was sort of like him developing his own blog site. And and everybody had the address to his blog site. And he, and he pounded these 95 reasons why the church of his era had entered into error. 95 reasons. Posting it there. Everybody could read it. Everybody could see it. Everybody knew it was happening. He basically was just exposing the elephant in the room. And from that moment on, there was a reformation that began to take place. That's what we call the Protestant Reformation. If you want to know where Protestants came from, that's where it began to get started. Lutherans came out of that from Martin Luther. But the interesting thing was, from that moment forward, historically, things began to be restored little by little. Line upon line, order upon order, precept upon precept. Until finally you begin to see historically certain things taking place. Now don't go to sleep on me. This is very important. Because you're living at the end at the end of a restoration pattern. Which means that God is about ready to do something that's going to blow our minds. I can just give you a quick, a quick rundown. In the early 1700s, you have both uh, Wesley and, and, and Whitfield beginning to, to preach not only the awakening, but begin to preach uh, 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 some holiness and sanctification. And understanding that we didn't have to be, we didn't have to be chained to our sins. Uh, a little bit after that, there's a second great awakening at the end of the 1700s uh, that begins to take place, where people again are challenged, and more is restored back to the church. In the 1800s, I'm just writing some things down here. 1830s, uh, you have this awakening, the second and third great awakenings. The late 1800s, you now have a holiness movement that begins to move. 
Beginning to declare to people that these concepts don't have to wait until somewhere way out in life, but you can embrace them early in your life. Beginning at the turn of the 20th century, the 1900s, you begin to have the Pentecostal movement, Azusa Street. And all of a sudden, all the, the folks that were looking for power in order to walk out their Christian life, God opens up the windows, pour forth of His Spirit. The 1940s, there are the, there are the healing crusades when Oral Roberts and, 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 and William Branham and other people, whether you like them or not, they were used in order to establish some concepts in the body and in the world again. In the 1960s, you have the charismatic movement where the gifts of the Spirit were rekindled. And then God starts restoring offices in the 1970s. Uh, he begins to restore the, the, the office of pastor. And then in the 1980s, the teacher. And, and the evangelist comes in. And then, and then the prophets come in. And now here we are in 2011. And all of a sudden, we're hearing this word apostle come to pass. And, and I just quickly and I just stumble bumbled around here for just a moment. But I'm trying to just quickly illustrate to you that since the 1500s, and understand God is eternal, so time has, has no issue with Him. But since the 1500s, God has been restoring things back into the life of His church. And here's the key. If we believe that we're living in last days, if we believe that indeed Jesus could be coming quickly, if we believe that the scenarios are being set to where we know the end of the ages is at hand, then let me just share this with you. There is a mighty outpouring of God's spirit and power and presence that is that we are on the brink of receiving. And I preach that to you because we need to anticipate and develop an expectation that God will not only uh, desire this, but He will do this. And listen, it's only as good as we receive it. The restoration of all things. I am convinced that God is beginning to move in this regard. But in order for that to become a reality, in order for the house of God to be at full power, then we're going to have to see the blueprint of what he wants to do restored in the life of the local church. Now, where do we locate the blueprint? Well, obviously the blueprint's here in the Bible. The book of Acts helps us because it is the account of how it all originally took place. I would think that you would agree with me that it's a pretty simple premise to say that if this was the blueprint that God used to shake cities and nations, that, that in all likelihood that template would still work today. I, I mean, if we're seeing thousands of people being saved, if we're seeing people being delivered, if we're seeing healings, if we can begin to understand the template that he used through the book of Acts, then it will at least give us a little insight as to the template he would want to use today in order for these things to take place as well, right? Well, let me share with you as well in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, real quickly, verse 19. There's some interesting words that are here that I want you to see. Ephesians 2, 19, posted, guys. It says, now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Next verse. Having been built on the foundation of the what? And so the foundation is built on apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Next verse. In whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. 
last verse, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Paul says some very important things here. He says that, that there's a foundation that's been laid and been built. This foundation is upon what he says here is, of course, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone of this foundation. But then he also mentions two other things. He says that there are apostles and there are prophets, and they're a part of this foundational aspect. And the reason he mentions this foundational aspect is because from this foundation, he says, together we are being built into a place, listen, that God doesn't just visit, but that he comes to dwell. Now, just that phrase, man, that's, an, that's a remarkable concept. You know, sometimes, and this may be one of those Sundays, you know, you come to church and, you know, it was great to be at church. We ought to be at church. And maybe I'm a little encouraged, but, you know, whether or not we sense the presence of God, well, that may or may not happen. And there may be other Sundays you come where God's presence really comes in an amazing way. And you sense God's presence. And so there's sort of this sporadic, haphazard aspect of sensing the presence of God. But what Paul says here is this. He says that there's a foundation that's being laid where you're no longer going to have to live with just sporadic visitations. But there is a foundation that's being laid in order that God may come dwell. That he may come habitate. That, that it won't just be, well, I came to church today and eh, well, the praise team did a pretty good job. And well, pastor's been better. I mean, I've heard him preach better than that. And, and, but it was okay. I didn't know it was okay. And that was probably good for me. And I need to be at church. And, you know, and then that's cool. And who knows, maybe a week or two or three from now, you'll be here. And it will be the, it will be the service where you sense God. And it was awesome. And, and, and God's saying, I'm knocking out the haphazard sporadic aspects of church life, and I'm going to dwell. God's looking for places that He can call home. He ain't visiting. The Holy Spirit, for years we said, send us a visitation. I don't want God to visit me anymore. I want Him to set up shop to dwell, to habitate. When I walk in those doors, God is there. God is there. Come on, be honest. That's how it works in your personal life. There are times you sense God, you feel God. You're, but however you, you know, evaluate that, and it's kind of sporadic. It's hit and miss. Hey, God wants to dwell in His people and in the midst of His people. It doesn't matter how pretty or how stylish the building you are restoring looks like if the foundation is faulty. Wherever you're going or whatever's being built isn't going to happen. You can only, listen, you can only go as high as the foundation will uphold. That's why God said to Paul to write this down. He said, I'm going to build something foundationally. It needs to be set a certain way in order that if you want to go to another dimension, if you want to go to that next place in me, listen to me. And some, I, I want to be careful here. Holy Spirit, help me say this well. The charismatic movement did one, maybe more, but at least one thing wrong. It made us think that just our gifts could get us to the place God wanted us. And it was so wrong. Because you see, your gifts will not get you 
to where you think you need to be. It's the foundations of your life. If you're wondering why you aren't going anywhere, maybe you ought to just call time out for a minute and ask yourself how deep are your foundations because the foundation in your life is going to be the determining factor as to how far you will go in God. God is setting some foundations again in His people, in His church. He's setting foundations right again. Why? Because it's His very heart that we reach that next dimension. We reach that place in Him that He's calling us to. And, and I'm oftentimes drawn back to that prophecy in 2004 that Jim Rollins gave us. And I'll never forget because he said it and I, I remember it, it resonated. It was like God spoke and it resonated in my heart. But you know, for most of us, prophecies only resonate when it tickles us and tells us that we're all that in a bag of chips. This was one of those prophecies that I knew was the Lord, but it was, it was sharing some things that I was thinking, oh, sweet Jesus. Because he said to me and to us in 2004, I am tearing out the foundation. That's what the word was to us. Maybe you weren't here. Be glad. I'm tearing out, the Lord said, your foundations prophetically. You thought you were building on a mountain. You thought you were building on something solid. He said, but you're building in a swamp. And I'm having to tear out your foundations and you're going to have to dig deeper. I remember when I heard that. <laughs> I know we say amen today because I think we got a handle on it. But I, at the time I was going, oh my. There wasn't no amen coming out. It was like, oh my, Lord, help us. There's nothing worse. Can you imagine building a building and suddenly the county uh, inspector comes by and says, rip out the foundation. Could you imagine? You'd want to you'd shoot him. That's probably why prophets had a rather high attrition rate, I would suppose. But it was still truth. See, if we have a destiny together as a people... If you have a personal destiny as an individual believer, I'll just share this with you. You better get ready for the Holy Ghost to dig some foundations in you that you never thought you needed. That's why most people never see the great things. They may see a few good things, but they never see the great things. I believe God's called us to greatness. And, and can I just share this? We're going to let him dig out old foundations. And if he's got to dig deeper, let him dig. Because he's looking for a dwelling place. That he can set up shop. The reason the church has always sputtered is because we've never embraced those foundations. Now, I believe those foundations include what Paul said up there, the prophetic and the apostolic. Now, you may not understand what that means. And at this point, it's not necessary for you to understand all that that means, except to say that you need to embrace the fact that whatever God says the foundation must be, it must be. It has incredible ramifications on your personal walk with God and the victory that you're going to enjoy. Because you see, we're living in a time right now that's not all that different from the culture that we find in the book of Acts. You know, in the book of Acts, it was a far more hostile time period probably than the one you and I are living in here in America. But nonetheless, there's, there are some great similarities. For instance, the early disciples, the early church, faced all sorts of occultic issues. I mean, I mean, can you imagine having all the various gods and demons and occultic activity? They had Canaanite fertility cults. 
They had temple prostitutes. The perversion, you can't even begin to imagine. If you think the day we live in now is perverted, you, I can't even begin to describe you what they faced there in, in, in the early church in the book of Acts. The economy was bad. The, I mean, just people were poor. And there, of course, there was no health care because if you got sick in those days, you were just you were basically left for dead. I could go down the list and share with you that the culture and the hostility of the culture in the early church is not that much different than the hostility we are facing today. But the early church was able to engage their culture, turn things around because those Christians saw signs and wonders. They saw miracles. They saw the power of God. They saw God resource them. They saw the transformation of lives. This can happen again. This is the good news. If God did it before, he can do it again. If God moved that way in the book of Acts and all scripture is profitable for doctrine, then he can do it today. Listen, this is so important. We may live in a tough area, but it's not too tough for God. I'm telling you as a pastor, I have to, I have to hear and oftentimes it's come out of my mouth when I go to pastor's conferences and we'll all share and we'll share what's going on. And there's always challenges and, and, and tough ground. But a lot of times out of pastor's mouth, they'll go, you don't even know how tough it is in my city. You don't even, you can't understand how tough it is to preach the gospel, to disciple believers, to impact where we're at. You cannot believe how tough it is in Charleston, South Carolina. Well, here's God's word. It's no tougher than Ephesus. It's no tougher than Antioch. It's no tougher than the first Jerusalem, which is called the holy city. Your holy city can experience an outpouring that changes the complexion of the region. Nothing is too hard for God. So don't look at me and tell me you've got the hardest job to go to. Nobody encourages you. You've got the hardest school to attend because it doesn't affirm your faith. You've got the hardest family gathering at the holidays to go be at. Because Aunt Bessie gets on your case. Don't you tell me that. God can take the hardest hearts and the hardest regions, and if His Spirit is poured out and God dwells there, He will get what He wants. Yes, He will. But you see, if we don't have the blueprint, if we've not laid down the right foundation, then you and I, of course, will be in trouble. Now, if you go home and you were to Google the phrase, uh, new Apostolic Reformation. And now that I just said it, I know many of you will go do this. But I'm just going to give you a heads up. If you go Google New Apostolic Reformation, you're going to find out almost instantly, they're going to be, all the sites are going to come up instantly on Google that are going to tell you why this stuff that we're about ready to delve into is either uh, in error, the people who talk about this are deceived, or somehow it's cult-like. I, I laugh nowadays because if you don't understand it, we just label it with cult. Cult. And I've been called cult by the best of them. Uh, of course, Paul was labeled that as well. So you've you got to keep these things kind of in context. Now, uh, one of the things that I did not know until later was that uh, I had turned some of you in the direction of a website some months ago 
that took a worldview test. And uh, it was a great worldview test. And we are worldview adherents. We believe in comprehensive Christianity. And there was a great worldview test on a particular website that I just, hey, I just sent out to the folks. I said, hey, take this and kind of see what you score. And, and it was kind of interesting. What I did not realize was, out of that website, was that their viewpoint was more cessationist, which meant they didn't believe in the gifts of the Spirit. They didn't believe in the present operation of the Holy Spirit. And now many of you are getting emails from a guy uh, by the name of Brian House, and I'll just say his name because I sent it out to you. Um, and now you're getting emails, and it's saying, you know, all this apostolic reformation stuff is a bunch of hogwash. Well, he's wrong. He is wrong. And we're going to spend a few weeks, and I'm going to explain. Hopefully, hopefully you will see where this isn't some crazed idea, but this is actually the center of God's will. I also read here recently, someone gave me a Newsweek article. In fact, I think it was Dan Bearden. Which, by the way, can I just say while I'm thinking about it, Dan was the one that put together that DVD of the tree cutting. Didn't he do a good job? So we appreciate Dan doing that. But I think he was the one that kind of passed on a Newsweek article about one of our uh, candidates that's running for president. And it mentioned in this article that he was associated with the new apostolic reformation. And, of course... Newsweek wanted to define it for us. And how many of you know you never let a Philistine define your terms? Never. Never let a Philistine define your terms. So they defined it as some sort of theocratic takeover, and, you know, it's weird, and all the rest. And they don't, under, they don't understand theocracy. They don't understand the difference between that and ecclesiocracy. They don't get any of these com concepts. They're just the world is in darkness. Don't you let the world define what's happening in the church world. They're in darkness. They are deceived. They do not get it. So it instantly ought to put up your, your, you know, your, 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 your radar, your warning Will Robinson, you know, the old lost in space. Because they don't get it. But, but all of a sudden in the earth, now you may not have heard it yet, and maybe I could have kept you in blissful ignorance, but we don't do that here. We awaken you to all that you need to know. And, 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 and so this concept has stirred up some dust. And it could be, you know, I often, I don't take all my cues from the enemy, but sometimes if the enemy is stirring up some dust, there's a little truth in there somewhere. You know, if people, if people are sometimes put off with you, it might be you're doing the right thing. Jesus said, be, beware when all men say, you know, Speak well of you. Yeah, thank you. Some of you are preaching this better than I am right now. Beware. You know, I like favor. I want people to like me, respect me, receive me. I like that as much as anybody. But he said, beware. Beware. If everybody's giving you, you know, the thumbs up, it could be that maybe you aren't doing all that you should be doing. The point I'm making is, is that God is restoring foundations in his church, and the enemy will do his best to keep us from laying the right foundation. You understand, if he can keep you from laying the right foundation, he can ostensibly keep you out of your destiny. If he can keep you from digging deeper into, into a knowledge of God and into the things of God, if he can keep you from concepts that you must get a hold of, if the enemy can keep you from doing that, he will keep you from ultimately where God would want you to be. The key to how far you will go and how high you will rise all depends on how dig you will deep and lay those foundations. 
That's why God is calling apostles. That's why he's laying down a foundation prophetically and apostolically. He's releasing, we're going to talk about this more, an apostolic spirit into the church body, into his people. If the early church, listen to me, if the early church needed apostles, you, you realize that up to that point, there'd never been an apostle. They had prophets and priests in the old covenant. But all of a sudden we come into the early church and now we find uh, these that are called apostles. And uh, we will go through some of this here in just a second. But if the early church needed apostles, if they needed an apostolic spirit, if they needed apostolic churches to accomplish the Great Commission in a hostile, tough environment, why would we need any less? Now, the question sometimes folks ask me is, do apostles still exist? Well, the quick answer is yes. And I'm going to have to hurry. How do I know this? Scripture tells me, Ephesians 4.11. Can you post that? Listen to this. It says, he meaning Jesus gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Next verse. Why were they there? Why were these five particular, we call them ascension gifts, given to the church? Why? It says, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And, and by the way, jump back to that previous verse, guys, can you? Edifying. That word edify literally comes from the Greek word, which means to build something. An edifice. To build something, to build something in the body of Christ, verse 13, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature or complete or biblically what they mean perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Keep that verse up there for just a minute. I always point people to this verse and I tell them these things. Number one, we have not yet come to the unity of the faith. We've not yet come to the knowledge of the Son of God to a complete or perfect man. We've not manifested the fullness of the stature of Jesus Christ. And so if we've not accomplished these things, then guess what? Apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers are still around. They have to stay around because this has yet to be accomplished. But this is what they are foundationally trying to do in order that we might become that very thing. In fact, it's interesting if I take you through this, that, that these gifts, including the apostle, equips, throw that on the screen, guys. The word equip literally means a supernatural and practical supplying of the tools to do the job. That's what the word equip means. Now, this is when it gets intensely personal and practical. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, they all come to us in order, listen, that you can be equipped foundationally, listen, supernaturally, as well as practically in the things that it's going to take in order to get you to the promise that we already read in verse 13. Now, I don't know about you, but every now and then, I sort of need the power of God to show up. Amen? Is there anyone here that doesn't need a little supernatural activity to take place in your life? Is there anyone here that isn't facing something that looks impossible to you? And so you need the power of God somehow, some way, in some form to show up and break through. You need this in your life. Listen to me. Then you need an apostolic spirit. In order to take place in your life. 
Now, I'm going to have to stop here today, and uh, I've just decided I'm going to teach you these next few weeks, so if I don't stop in the exact place that I thought I would, I'll just pick it up here next week. Amen? Let me, let me just share. Guys, go to the screen that says, well, all this is great, Pastor, what's this got to do with me? This is where we're going to end. All this is great, Pastor, what's it got to do with me? Number one, post it. We have been called to do something impossible. The Great Commission says that you and I together are to disciple nations. Think about that for just a minute. We're to disciple nations. <laughs> disciple America. Disciple Canada. Disciple Mexico. Disciple the United Kingdom. Disciple France. Disciple Portugal. We have been, do you understand? This is impossible. But that's what we've been called to. To go ye therefore into all the world and disciple nations. We are personally called to complete that which Whitfield left undone. Do you understand that our call not only is within the Great Commission, but our call is to see awakening come to our region here. Do you understand? That's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. If we have the foundation and the blueprint and the wineskin and the conduit through which he can move unencumbered. Number two, we've got to remember the spirit always affects the natural. Listen to me. We, we've got to get things spiritually. Once spiritually things are in order, then it seems like all of life becomes orderly. That's why people's lives change when they get saved. Something got spiritually in order. And then they begin to be discipled. And they bring spiritual order into their life. And suddenly all of life finds order. We listened to a testimony today uh, from Lisa Boyd. How they put things in order in their life in just the financial area. And then all of a sudden the windows of heaven opened up for them. Is that not amazing? When spiritually things are put in order, it's amazing how it begins to affect the natural. And then number three, I believe that there's a new spiritual dimension that needs to be activated in our lives. You know, we're seeing a depth of evil and challenge and perversion like we've never seen in any generation. And we need a new depth of anointing and power. We need apostolic power in this era. Yes, we do. Now, don't, don't, don't run out of here and say, well... Pastor thinks he's apostle. I didn't say that, did I? All I said was we need apostolic power. We need apostolic power. God's calling us, I believe, as we're digging out a brand new church, as we're building a house of God, I believe there's something spiritually happening. I believe we're digging some things out spiritually in our lives, in this ministry, in this church. And there is a passion that exists in this place. There's an anointing that exists in legacy that is, not, that is not normal Christianity. I always listen when people say, you know, they'll say to me, they say, Pastor, you know, we've looked and we just can't find another legacy. Well, praise God. I mean, I, I understand. I mean, it's just we're just kind of a different breed of cat. If you stumbled your way in here, we're just sort of different. Doesn't mean anyone else is bad or not doing God's will. We affirm everybody that's, that's preaching Jesus. We love them. We affirm them. But let me tell you something. We are serious. We are serious about building a habitation together that God can fill. And as he fills that, he becomes, he becomes the radiating 
factor, the radiating presence that begins to change the, the region. And I'll say it again. I'm all for church growth. I'm all for growing a local body. But let me tell you something. We've got to get to the place where it's more than just growing a church. It's time we started worrying about the decline of our culture. We're not placed here just to get bloated. We are placed here in order to accomplish a mandate. Nothing less than the Great Commission to disciple nations. I'm going to have to leave it there. I hope you got something out of that. I don't know. Amen? All right, stand with me. We're going to pray.